We're thankful today that we can be together and wrap up this series that we've been looking at over the summer called Love One Another. And sort of the theme or the idea behind that series has been that in light of the gospel reality that I have in Jesus Christ, that's going to have some kind of an impact on the relationships that I have with other people. And, and up to this point, we've, we've gone over a, a host of different ways. Today, we're going to finish with uh, praying for one another and how praying affects the relationships that I have with other people. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word with you today, if you turn to the book of James, chapter number 5, James chapter number 5, you can go ahead and get your place there and hold it, and we're going to come back to that in a second. And while you do that, we need to recognize some special guests that we have with us in the service this morning. This is a special Sunday here at Salem Chapel. Uh, we get the privilege of worshiping together today with some of our kindergarten through fifth graders here in the space this morning. Where are you guys at? Where are my kids at this morning? See some hands? There they are. All right. Hey, guys, this is exciting that you are here. What you need to hear from me is that God loves you, and God thinks you are special, and God has made you with a purpose, and God sees value in you. And you, Do you know why? Because God made you in his image, just like he made these adults in this room in his image. And that's worthy enough celebrating. And so we are honored that you are with us in our service today. You know, if it was your first time here, adults, and you're like, man, I didn't know all these kids were going to be here. I don't really do kids. I want to push back on you a little bit and say, here at Salem Chapel, we do kids. All right? We love kids. We love what, what God is doing in kids. Kids have uh, an, an amazing uh, faith that is very convicting oftentimes to the rest of us in the way that they respond. In fact, I want to see this morning if our kids can help prep us a little bit for what God has for us in his word this morning. So this is what I'm going to do. I freaked out the camera guys when I did this first service. But could I have some, some brave kid volunteers to join me right down here on the floor? Let's see if you can help, help the adults get ready. And I'll tell you what, there is a reward in play for you as well. So at the end of the service, there may be some candy in the windscreen for you. Join me on the floor, kids. Let's go. Give these guys a hand as they're coming down. Right up here, guys. There's a cat up here. Hey, come on over here, guys. You can take a seat right here in the front row. Look at all these amazing volunteers. Thank you guys for coming. So guys, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. This morning, the adults, I think, may need a little bit of help, all right? A little help to get preloaded for what God has for us today. Do you think you guys can help them out? I think you probably can. I like that confidence. All right, so I'm going to ask some questions. If you know the answer, I want you to raise your hand. And I'll let you answer into the microphone, okay? All right, you ready? All right. Who are we talking to when we pray? Who are we talking to when we pray? Do you know? God. Very good, very good. Now, let me ask you another question. Is there anything that God can't do? Who thinks they know this one? No. No, right? Okay. So if I'm going through something really hard, that's really hard for me, what would be a good thing for me to do? Amen. Does God care about what we, what we have to pray about? What we, can we say to that? Yes? Yes. Yes, he does. All right, so if my friend is going through something really hard, what could I do for them if they're going through something? Pray for them. Amen. You guys get it, right? Give them a hand, man. That's awesome. 
Now, I want to ask something here. Let's be very brave. Would one of you like to pray to God for our services right now? Can you give it a shot? Would you pray for us? God, thank you for this day, and thank you for letting all of us come to church for, for um, today. Thank you for letting me have my family come with me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can go back to your seats with your parents if you want to. Come see me at the Winston Room after service, okay? I got something for you. Hey, adults. Let me ask you something. What happened to us, those of you, maybe like me, that understood those truths about who God is, perhaps even at a young age? What happened to us? between that time when we accepted things so willingly and innocently and with conviction? Do you see how fast they were answering those questions? Who can help me with things? God can. Who am I praying to? Who am I talking to? God. If my friend's going through something, what's the best thing I could do for them in that moment? Talk to God about it. What happened to us? We lost that sense of, of awe, that, that sense of, of conviction, that, that childlike faith, didn't we? We forgot something somewhere along the way. That's why I'm so thankful that we have children in our midst. And you know what you need to do? You need to be praying for these children, right? You need to be praying for the families. That's you. Like, I don't even have kids. doesn't matter. You know why you need to be praying for them? Why you need to care about what kids are doing in church? Because Jesus cares about them. And because they're the future of the church, FYI. All right? When we're gone, they're going to be here. All right, there, there may be a, a future pastor right there that was on the front row, a future life group leader, a kids' classroom leader that's there. That's who, that's, that's who that is. We need to pray for them. We need to celebrate them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we need to celebrate that today. So thank you, kids, for being here today. You have helped us already understand what God has for us in his word this morning. And so if we can, though, as we continue in our series, you may... Recall, we looked at how, uh, in, in, because of my gospel reality, uh, humility affects my relationships. Harmony, we talked about, should have harmony in my relationships. What should forgiveness look like in my relationships? Love, service, bearing with one another. And then last week, we talked about being in community with one another. And all of those topics are true. In light of the gospel, they look very different, do they not? But I would also put forward... That if I walked to up to anyone on the street and asked them, do you think that loving other people is a good idea, regardless of their relationship with Jesus Christ, do you think they would probably say yes? Yeah, they would. You know, do you think if you asked them, do you think it's great to live in harmony with other people, they'd probably say, yeah, that's a really good thing. Is, is, it, is it a good thing to live with humility? Yes. Is it good to live in a way that you have relationships with other people and community? Sure. You know, certainly the church is a unique community. But I would say that of all the things that we have discussed, if I walked up to anyone, regardless of their relationship with Jesus Christ, they would say those are good, virtuous things to be towards other people. Would you agree? All right, but this last one's very interesting and different, isn't it? If I walked up to anyone on the street, I might get a variety of different answers if I said, do you think that it's a good idea? Do you think it's good for me to pray for other people? Do you think that is something that I should do? You might get a different response, wouldn't you? I think in a day and age, too, where the phrase thoughts and prayers is sort of like the new like, hot phrase, like, don't say that, like, we're tired of your prayers, just give us some, a some action, right? And it sort of downplays like what prayer is, right? 
You know, I don't take that personally, you know, because it's, if you don't understand what the relationship is, you don't see the value in that. But I think that there's a, an understanding we need to have of what prayer is actually accomplishing. I want to read a quote to you from Psychology Today by a guy named Dr. Jeremy Sherman. He's got a bunch of letters after his last name that are a lot more than mine, so he's probably smarter than me. Uh, but um, this is what he has to say about prayer, and it's very challenging, I think, to us today. All right, show us one case of prayer working that isn't hearsay, ambiguous and impossible to explain by scientific standards, and you'll have made your case that prayer is virtuous. But while we're on that subject of virtue, can we talk about that a minute? I don't doubt that much of what gets prayed for is virtuous, but I do question the virtue of assuming that one has privileged access to a friend in high places who thinks your preferences are so important that he's willing to intervene into physics to bring about your will. Seems to us humbler to defer to the laws of nature and work within them rather than pulling strings to change them when we really want something. Besides, if what you really pray for is virtuous and God working in mysterious ways was ultimately beneficent, it seems pretty arrogant to feel like you have to give his omniscience a heads up on an opportunity to do the right thing. If God is so benevolent, does he actually need you to say, God, please make good things happen? And you hear that and you're like, wow, that's kind of a cynical response to prayer. Before you get too up in arms at this guy and start feeling some rage within you there. I don't want you to recognize, like, this is just how, I think this guy, and if you read the full article, you can check it out. I think it's the May 2013 issue. You can see he's really just trying to understand, you know, why someone would feel so strongly that prayer is something that's important in their life. And he's really just trying to understand, like, is really prayer, is it simply an attempt to bend God's will to mine? Would you say that's the case for you? Am I praying because I think God is too out of touch with reality to know what's going on? Those are important questions to grapple with. As we look in God's word this morning, I think we're going to see not only what that gospel reality has changed in light of what prayer means to us, uh, because honestly, you have no motivation really to pray unless you've been changed in that way, but then also, like, what what should we be praying for? And as, as we think about relationships around us, what does it look like to pray for someone else? So today we're going to try to tackle that. So can we read James chapter 5? Let's get into the text, starting in verse number 13, and read this with me this morning. Now, is there anyone among you who is suffering? What does it say? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with the oil with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working that's very interesting there in verse 16. A little Bible study tip for you. If you ever see the word therefore in a passage, like my old professor has pounded into my head, you should always go back and look and see what it's there for. Because right? it always refers to something that was said just prior to that. All right? So in light of these things that he talks about, people suffering, people that are struggling to be cheerful, people that are sick, that, are, that have a physical ailment, people that are trapped in sin, In light of all of that that's going on, let us pray for one another, right? 
That's the command that's there. Why do we do it? Because there is power in the prayers of a righteous person as it is working. There's power in the prayer. And he makes a very bold statement in verse number 15. He says, the prayer of faith. What does it mean to pray in faith? Right? Lots of religions pray, do they not? Lots of religions observe prayer. What is different? What is different in light of my gospel reality for the way that I pray and who I am talking to? I want to illustrate this for you. Hold your place there in James and go to Ephesians chapter 1. Hold your place in James and go to Ephesians chapter 1. This is what makes the difference. This is the gospel reality that informs my prayer and who I pray for. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. This is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is the gospel reality as it relates to prayer? He just said it there in verse 5. We have been, for those that have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them, we have been adopted into a new family. That means that God the Father is not only my God that I bow the knee to, he's not only my creator, as if those alone were you know, tremendous things, but now he has also become my Father. This is a controversial thing back in the day, all right? Back in Jesus' day, Jesus made claims like that, and the Pharisees and other people got all over him for that. That's blasphemous. You don't talk about God so casually like that. Where is that coming from? Back in the Old Testament, there was a big, glaring reminder in the middle of the camp when the people of Israel traveled that they were separated from a holy God. You know what that was? It's a tabernacle. And no matter where they traveled... Right in the middle of the camp, the people of Israel saw the tabernacle, that tent that was set up. And that tent was set up in such a way that it had different parts, right? There was an outer court where you could only go. First of all, if you were a Jewish man, you could go into this court and bring sacrifices to the altar for sin. All right, so already, they're seeing people walking every day to the temple with animals to be sacrificed. All right, it's a constant reminder. Then, inside the actual tabernacle itself, on the outer part of it, there was a room for that only the priest could go into. You had to be a priest even to go in there. And even then, you had to prepare yourself to walk into that. And then in the back of that tabernacle, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God resting above it on the mercy seat. And only one time a year could one individual, the high priest, walk into behind that curtain, into that place, and only after he had made consecration for his sins. And he went there on behalf of of the people. And so can you imagine growing up in that culture and you have that visual reminder day in and day out that God is so holy and so unlike any of us. I can barely even approach him. And in then it comes only through blood and sacrifice. But praise God on that day that Jesus hung on that cross. And as the blood is draining from his body, and the breath is slowing down, and he looks up to heaven, and he says those amazing three words that gave us victory forever, right? It is finished. What happened on that day in the temple? 
That curtain tore from the top down that separated the holies of holies. God himself did that. And what was he saying in that moment? No longer are you separated from me. No longer are you a stranger and an alien to me. You can walk right into the place where I am and you can talk directly to me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? When we say that we have been redeemed and adopted by by Christ, by God, it means that we have access to God like a dad. We can talk to him like a dad. How does a child ask their father for help? How does a child ask ask their father for help? Right? They, they, don't, they don't really ask if the dad can actually accomplish it, do they? Like, they just ask, expecting that the dad can do something that the child can't do. You know, my, my children are a living illustration of this. They like to break things in my house, and I love them. But they're really clumsy, and they, really, they like to break things. It's mostly like jewelry for whatever reason, okay? And they bring it to me in like a bazillion pieces. And they're like, Daddy, can you fix this? And then they just walk away. All right, let's go back to, oh, you take care of that. I'm going to go to my room. And I'm looking at it like, I don't know. That's a lot of pieces. I'm not sure I have glue to fix that. I'm not sure what needs to happen here. But I can't do that. But that's, that thought never occurs to them, does it? They come to me. They're like, well, of course you can fix it. Daddy, will you take this? And they give it to them. They give it to me. child doesn't stop to ask if the dad already even knows about the problem either. Only that the, he knows the child is burdened by it. I just wanted you to know that I'm upset about this. It's relational. Our, 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 our uh, communication with God is, is not, or it should not be, some kind of like ritualistic routine that I do out of obligation. It's based upon relationship. Because he is my father, I know that I can walk right into his presence, jump up on his laps, if you will, and tell him what is on my heart. And I know that he cares what I have to say. He's patient and listens to me. And if anyone can do anything about it, it's going to be him. Because my dad's the best. That's the attitude that we have. That is that childlike faith that these wonderful children demonstrated right here on the front. That they hear it and they believe it and that's good enough for them. Praying with a childlike faith is not a confidence to bend God's will to mine. But it's faith in his character to hear the cries of his children and guess what? To respond like a father would. That's the difference. It's an understanding that I can tell him the burdens that are on my heart and he's going to respond like a father would because we have that kind of relationship. So this morning, as we look into the ways that prayer affects our relationships with other people, I want you to keep this truth in the back of your mind, underpinning these items. Because God is my father... I can pray confidently for him to respond as a father, both in my life and in the lives of other people. Did you hear that? Because he is my father, I I can confidently pray for him to respond as a father would. As a father would, right? You remember what Jesus said when he was sharing with his disciples, what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer, right? They told him, like, teacher, teach us how to pray, and so he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Many of us maybe memorized that as we were growing up. One of the things that Jesus says right at the beginning of the prayer, right after he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, why is that significant? Because if I'm praying, and, and it's not about bending God's will to mine, that means that I am praying in effect, that God's will would become my own in that moment. 
And that that reality, that what is happening in heaven, what is reality in heaven, perhaps that I cannot see in this place here on earth because there is sin and there's suffering and there's destruction, the reality that is in heaven, I'm praying that that reality would become true here on this earth. And if I know how Scripture ends in the book of Revelation, I know that Jesus says that he is making all things new. I have that hope that someday that is going to be reality. And until that day, I'm praying according to that hope. So this morning, as we look back in James, we're going to look at three ways I can pray confidently because God is my Father for others because of that relationship I have in accordance with his will. So let's look back at James 5, verse number 13 again. Right at the beginning, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? What, is it, what does it say to do? What does it say? Let him pray. Why do we overcomplicate that? Why do we feel like we need to have more information about what that should look like? When it says it so plainly in God's word. You know, I'm not going to take like a survey of raised hands. Because uh, I think it would be kind of discouraging, honestly. But if I, we raised hands in this room, of who all in this room would say that they're suffering right now? Um, I'd, I'd say there are probably a lot of hands, right? And, and yeah, we're not going to get into like comparing pain, because pain is pain. But like, certainly there's different degrees of that. Do you think back in, in the day that James wrote this book, there was some suffering going on? For sure there was. It was written to God's people that were spread out outside of Jerusalem. Most of them had been spread. Do you know why? Because of persecution, They've been run out of town for their lives. Do you think they experienced suffering in a way perhaps maybe some of us have never? For sure they did. Was the answer more complex for their more complex suffering? No. If you're suffering, let, it, let him pray, right? I think about when a child comes to a parent, they've injured themselves, you know, like riding a bike or something, and they've, they've got a scrape on the knee, you know, is the first thing that the child says when they come running into the house, Daddy, please get the antiseptic and put a nice bandit on here so it heals great. I don't have a scar. Is that how it works? No. You know what the first thing they do? They scream and they cry and through the tears running down their cheeks, they say, Daddy, make the pain stop. Make the pain stop. It hurts so bad. God is, is not a, a, an uncaring, distant God that sits off by himself and has to pick and choose. Now, that seems legit, that request. That request is really self-serving. You know, you're, you're just a big whiner, so I don't have time for you. I'm only serious about the serious things. Imagine, envision like a father, him sitting there, stroking the hair, wiping the tears away. It's going to be Okay. You know, and just like when, you, when your kids are really little and you could like kiss the boo-boo, right? And that would somehow magically make it go away. It wasn't, it wasn't that you had magical medical abilities in your mouth, right? Do you know what made all the difference? That your father knew what was going on and he told you it's going to be okay and he promised his presence to be there with you as you worked through it. This is not like some kind of ridiculous self-help coping mechanism that we're talking about here. This is about a relationship. There's all kinds of suffering, right? You know, we would say there's human suffering due to sin, right? 
We have suffering in this world because of sin. That's the theological truth. The Bible speaks to that. That's why Jesus came. I have suffering in my life due to my sin, right? Things I have done that have brought consequences on me, and I'm feeling the pain of that suffering. We can relate to that one, can't we? We know what that feels like. We also experience suffering at the hands of other people, people that have sinned against us or that are sinning against us currently. It feels like it's not going to stop. We have suffering because we live in a, a broken world system that is destroyed by sin. It creates systems that are affected by sin. That's why we have things like racism and injustice and there's poverty and there's violence against innocent people. It's sin at work in systems of people. That's how crazy we've gotten with it. And this isn't a new 2019 thing. We've been doing this since the very first son killed the other son in a fit of jealousy and anger and murdered him and hid his body and then lied about it. We've been doing it since then. We brought the suffering into the world. And our bodies ache and we're grieved every time we hear about a news story about someone innocent being harmed. And we just, it, we just understand, God, why is this happening you know what we need to pray in that moment? Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because right now, earth is pretty lousy. And it hurts. We need to pray not only for our suffering, but pray for the suffering of other people. You know, sometimes that prayer is, is not just, God, make it go away. Right? The Apostle Paul prayed three times that God would take away an element of suffering from him. And God did not take it away from him. And so those prayers of taking away turn to prayers of what? Endurance. And I have a secret for you. Following Jesus is actually, as much as we don't like to admit it, almost an invitation to suffer. It's one of those secret Christian disciplines we don't like to talk about sometimes. It's not got good PR. But that's the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. It's through blood and fire and suffering. But it's because we see on the other end of that suffering the reality, that hope that heaven will come to earth someday and all things will be made right and I will be redeemed and everything will be renewed. And so I can endure until that in the light of that. And I pray because I believe that it's a reality in my life. And I pray for my friend who I love so dearly who is going through the darkest hour of their life. Not just that they would feel relief, but they would find and believe in that reality that I have that all things are going to be made new in Jesus Christ that they can endure until that time. I can pray for others to have an end to that suffering or to endure it. Well, let's go on there. What does it say in the second half of verse 13? It's kind of an abrupt switch, right? Abrupt change. All right, if it is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Like, wow, James, it's kind of like you didn't even give the suffering guy a moment there. You're moving on to the happy guy. Um, what is he talking about here? What does this have to do with prayer? Isn't this guy praising and singing songs, right? Like we're talking about singing now. Like keep it in context, right? Remember all of these things James said, and then he said in light of this, pray for another. All right, this is the second one this morning. I can pray for others to find reason to praise God. I can pray for others to find reason to praise God. This is another way I can pray for them. I want you to think about like two kids on a playground, has this happened? You know, very, happens to all of us at some time. Like, the one kid is talking about how awesome his dad is, right? My dad is so awesome, he can work on his own cars. Yeah, well, my dad builds stuff out of wood. What can your dad build? Nothing. Yeah, well, my dad could beat your dad up. You want to prove it? And, like, you know, they, they kind of set this up. What are, these, what are these guys doing? 
Like, why are they talking like this? Why are they bragging about their dads? You know why? You know what they're doing in that moment? They're giving praise to their father. They're giving praise to their dad. They have reason. They have reason because of their relationship to find joy in their father. And so, at the expense of the other guy's dad, they're going to let him know how awesome his dad is, right? Like, I don't recommend we try that, you know, in our relationships. Uh, but that's the reality, right? If you're cheerful today, fantastic, right? It could be you on, on, on uh, you know, suffering tomorrow, right? Like, we know that, understand that reality of verse 13. One day I could feel great and feel on top of the world, and everything is, seems to going according to my plan, and I feel happy about it. I'm finding joy in who God is. I'm finding joy and satisfaction in my relationship with him. But then Tuesday comes along, and that's a dark day, and in that fog of suffering, I'm tempted to disbelieve. Have we not all been there? And I'm tempted to forget all the faithful demonstrations of God's love to me in the past. And I become just kind of depressed and withdrawn and separate myself from other people. That's why we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for one another that we have a reason to praise God. That we can look out of our depth of our relationship and find reason to praise him because he is faithful to me. You know, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, Catechism uh, speaks, and this is quoted very often. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to what? Enjoy him forever. To enjoy him. My relationship with God is like a son and a father. Like, I'm fond, I have fondness for him. Like, we love each other. I feel loved in this relationship. I'm finding joy in that. You know, something very sad happened today, um, this morning, in fact, at 12.01. Something very sad happened. Cookout is no longer serving watermelon milkshakes this year. <laughs> I actually realized this last night, and I was like, man, I did not get over to cookout one more time. And some, those of you are like, watermelon is disgusting, sorry, like, you need to like, get new taste buds, right, next year. July and August, right? Something sad happened. No more watermelon milkshakes. Why, why do I care about that? I, I find joy in a watermelon milkshake. Okay, you can judge me, right? It's a, it's a spot of joy in the, in the heat of summer to know that I can hop over to cookout and for like three bucks enjoy a tasty watermelon milkshake. I delight in it. I find delight in it. That's why I'm talking about it now. Too much probably, right? I care about it. It's, it's giving me a cause to praise, all right? I love the watermelon milkshakes. Do I have a cause to praise the working of God the Father in my life this morning? The person that's sitting beside of me in the chair this morning, you may know them, you may not. I wonder if they've got a cause to praise this morning. You know, we're singing those songs at the beginning, and you're right there, arms both up in the air, head lifted high, you're singing at the top of your lungs, and maybe they're standing beside of you, not actually sure they can get those words out of their mouth. We need, to pray for, we need to pray for one another. God, help them find their joy in you. They're desperately seeking happiness. We're people that, that's what we do. We try to find that joy, and we try oftentimes to find it in so many different places, do we not? Well, we need to pray that we find it in him and in him alone. Who's on your list this morning? If you could put a name and a face with someone that's, that God has put you in relationship with today, that needs to find that joy, needs to have a reason to praise God this morning. Who is that person?
You know what you can do this morning for them? You can talk to your father about that. Pray that he would show them his presence, his closeness to them in whatever it is that they're walking through right now and that they might find satisfaction in him. You can do that and you can do that confidently knowing that that is within God's will because guess what? God, his word says that he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That means that every person is made valuable in his eyes and he sees that value in them and he encourages them to find joy and happiness in him. You can pray that confidently knowing that that is the will of God for them is that they find happiness in him. Who's on your list this morning? This is the last one. Real quick. Look at verse number 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This one's an interesting one. Kind of like, wow, what do, you, what do you do with that? Like maybe I've experienced that prayer before. I prayed for someone who was really sick and they didn't get better. Like what's up with that? Did, did God not like my prayer? Was I not praying in faith? That's a legitimate, legitimate question. This morning though, the truth that we need to realize as we pray for others is that I can pray for others to be healed completely. Okay, so look at how it's broken it down here. There are two things that James draws out. He draws out the physically sick there, right? What does he say? Call the elders of the church and let them pray over them. Why is that significant? You need to call the elders every time you get a cold to come pray? I mean, you could, right? We, we don't mind praying. We love praying, right? That's, that's, that's one of the, the joys we get to have is to pray uh, for people. Um, but this is submission to, to God's structure, God's order within the church. And so again, it's like recognizing who he is. Let the elders come. Right? You would also like to think that your elders have a healthy relationship with the Lord and that they're putting in their time on their knees every day, building in that, and understanding that reality of faith. But also along with that, he also says in the end of verse 15, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And I just think this is very interesting that James does not separate the physical healing of a person from the spiritual, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, when we think about how, who people are. There's a physical component, right, and then there's a spiritual component. God made them both. And I'm reminded of an amazing story that illustrates this, of when Jesus was in a house and the crowd was packing in a couple friends who had a buddy with them that couldn't walk. They wanted to get him to Jesus. Their faith, they just knew if we can get him to Jesus, Jesus can heal him of his sickness. And so they couldn't get in the door. And so these guys were super like industrious and crafty, right? They climbed up on the roof. You got to hope they asked for permission first. They started cutting a hole in the ceiling. And what did they do? They lowered their friend down into the room in front of Jesus. People, you know, complaining and like, what's going on? And Jesus looks at the man and he says something I think nobody really expected in that moment. What does he say? Son, your sins have been forgiven. And they're like, what? what? What's going on here? In fact, the Pharisees are like, whoa, whoa, you can't talk about that, all right? That's God's stuff, forgiving sins. That's not for you, Jesus. And Jesus looked at them sternly, but with compassion, I'm sure, and said, which do you think is easier, to forgive sins or to heal his body? He said, but because of your lack of faith, 
let me show you what I can do. And he spoke to the man. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man jumps up. Somehow, guys, we have departmentalized our father into only being concerned about the spiritual aspects of my life. We're happy to let him be the savior of my sins, less confident that he cares about the physical part. If he didn't care about the physical part, why did he make it? So you read this, and it says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And you can think, man, there have been times I've prayed, and that person didn't get better. In fact, they died. It's not a coincidence that James used resurrection language in this passage to say that the Lord will raise him up. He didn't didn't determine what the timeline of when that raising up would be. Just that according to God's will, he will keep his promise to restore him. And someday, as I look forward in that reality of heaven coming to earth in its fullness, when Jesus had made all things new, the promise is, is that when Jesus returns, that immaterial spiritual part that I can't see will someday be reunited with the physical part made new without the curse of sin, and I will live as I have never lived before in light of my reality in Jesus Christ. So is it wrong to pray specifically against physical ailments and against sickness and against obstacles that happen in this body? Absolutely not. And if anything, I could implore us to stop trying to give God an out when we pray, when we say, God, please heal them. But if you decide it, you don't want to, it's okay. You don't talk to your dad that way. Your dad, he's hurt. I know you know, you made him, but... He's hurt. Can you do something about it? That's what that prayer of faith says. This morning, as we, the word here challenges us in verse 16 to confess sin, right? That's relationship with one another, relationship with God. And it says to pray for one another. This is why our prayers in faith have great power, okay? Here it is. In faith, we believe our heavenly Father can defeat all the effects of sin at work in me and in my friend and in this world. We believe that. And we keep on asking him in prayer until we see that reality of heaven coming to earth. Do we not? That's where the power is. It's not a make me feel good kind of thing. It's looking ahead. It's looking ahead with confidence. Are we as confident of God's ability, God's desire to move in our life just as we are confident that our dad could scare the monsters out of the closet when we were a little kid? Do we need to reclaim and pray, God, give me that childlike faith? This morning, we had children on the front row, an amazing blessing. And even these children understand where they have access to go when they're hurting, where they should go when their friend is going through something. Do you believe that so confidently this morning? I would be remiss to challenge us in prayer this morning and not give us an opportunity to practice what God has called us to do. I said, this is what we're going to do. Right where we are this morning, if you're with your family or you're beside someone you don't know, we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for one another that we believe these things to be true. You might have to introduce yourself first if you don't know them. That could be a little awkward, right? We're going to pray right at our seats. I've got some reminders to put on the screen right here. 
some ways that we can pray for people. And so right in this place for just a few minutes, would you just gather with whoever is right beside of you and spend some time praying for one another. Pray that the power of God would be at work because it accomplishes much as it is working. And then we'll continue after that.